you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2. We're starting a brand new mini-series uh, this this week, a three-part mini-series mini called Married Life Matters. Um, and uh, we're going to start in Genesis uh, chapter 2. Now, we're launching it this week on purpose. Okay. Sometimes we, we, we're pretty good at lining some things up because you know what's going on this week, right? If you said Super Bowl, I don't like, I don't even want to like, we're in trouble already. All right. Not the Super Bowl. What's going on this week? Valentine's week. Valentine's week. That's right. That's right. So, so guys, where are my guys in the room? Guys, guys, I told you I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you today. All right, going to help you out. That's why we're starting this series today. All right, maybe hang in with us till the end. I always talk to the guys about that because I think chivalry shouldn't be dead. So, like, let's, come on, right, guys? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, hang with me till the end. Hang with me till the end, and you might give you a little something there. All right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. Chen read it for, uh, for us a moment ago. just want to highlight it real quick. The Lord God said in verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, birds in the sky, wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought it. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Verse 24 That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Little Johnny. Did you hear the story about little Johnny? I tell you the story about little Johnny. Little Johnny went to uh, church one day, and uh, he was, he was uh, in his uh, kids class at church, and they were, they were teaching about this, this passage in Genesis, and little Johnny's sitting in class, and the part that struck little Johnny while he was there was, was the fact that, at, that God opened Adam's side, took a rib out from him, and created Eve. That really stuck to little Johnny, and so they go home after church, you know, they're, they're watching a Super Bowl preview, and he's hanging out after lunch, and laying on the, and all of a sudden, little Johnny's not feeling good. Little Johnny's just getting, getting not, just not feeling good, just didn't feel right. The mom told Johnny, go, why don't you go lay down, go lay down. So little Johnny goes lay down a little bit while later. Mom comes walking in, Johnny, how are you feeling? You feeling okay? And he's holding his side and he goes, mom, I don't feel good. I think, I think, I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> now, if you like that, Pastor Scott gave that joke to me. If you don't like it, Pastor Scott gave that joke to me. So. Um, we live, we live, we live in a season and a time of deconstruction in our world where, where our culture is, is constantly deconstructing the things that, that we believe or, or, or put value in. Uh, our culture is deconstructing, um, all aspects from personal worth to, uh, work. We're deconstructing how we look at work and we're, we're deconstructing our personal identity. Uh, what does it mean to be who I am? We're deconstructing in our culture our faith, and we're deconstructing in our culture even our marriages 
and what marriage should be and what marriage should look like and how, how marriage should be defined. We're, we're deconstructing all of that. And I just thought that it would be very helpful for us as a church who lives in the middle of this culture and this community and the world that we live in to really, especially during this Valentine's season, launch this series. We, we just ask this, not even ask a question, but, but make this statement. Let's, do, let's, let's rediscover God's design for marriage. Because it's, it's, we can ask questions. The questions are okay. And, uh, and maybe some of us need to deconstruct some of the things we, we were taught and brought up with and really define for us God's design for marriage. What does God say? What does, what does God say, uh, about man and woman and husband and wife? What does God say about marriage? And then how do we apply that to, to our lives and how do we invest that into our, our search and how do we live with that in our community? God has designed marriage to be the foundation of the family. Those are words that, uh, if, if you were married in a, in a church service or a religious service, maybe the pastor said those words at the beginning of the, the ceremony that God has designed marriage to be the foundation of the family. I've said that as, as I've officiated weddings. It's something that we say and something that we believe that God has a design for marriage and has designed part of that, that part of that design is for it, marriage to be the foundation of our family, a family that lives in a community, a family that interacts in a neighborhood, a family that interacts in a school district, that God has put together marriage as the foundation of a family that will interact together in a church setting, that will move and live and breathe in a town and a space, that God has planned it this way, that marriage should be the foundation of family. And so the challenge is that's the ideal that God gives to us. And we'll unpack that a little bit more in a few minutes. God gives us this ideal that we should look at and and study and try to understand. But here's the tension. We're not perfect, are we? We're flawed people. Well, I am. I don't know about you. Flawed people. We don't always make the right choices. We don't always do the right things. We're flawed people. We're imperfect people walking through this life. And so here's this ideal of marriage that God has designed for us, that God has spoken to us, but yet it's been, it's been handed down to broken and flawed people. The other tension that we see is that marriages then reflect the challenges and the difficulties that we carry through life. Life's hard. Life is hard. Anybody have an easy life? Anybody? Just easy. Just nothing. Good. We're all on the same. Life is hard, right? So by nature, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard because life is hard and because we're imperfect people. We make, the, we make stupid decisions. We say stupid things. We act in ways that we shouldn't act. We carry the tension of world. We we carry the tension of work, of life, of extended family, right? We carry all these tensions. And they live not only in us, but they live in our marriage. And so our marriage is hard. We're not perfect. 
Now, don't elbow each other. Just hang on. None of us are perfect. And we deal with heavy, heavy things that are going on in our world. And regardless of when Christ was introduced into our marriage, whether it was at the beginning or or sometime along the way, we have to realize that there is no perfect marriage. Marriage is, is simply a man and a woman trying to make sense of love, life, and faith. That's what it is. Marriage is simply a man and a woman who have, who have come together trying to understand and make sense of the faith that they have, the life that they live, and the love that they share. And we do it imperfectly, and we do it with all the demands of the world around us, and we just try to figure it out. So we want to help. We want to help. We want to, we want to discover or rediscover God's design for marriage. A design that, that is set as, as again, a framework and a building block. A design that for marriages that, for the marriages that we're in right now, the marriages that we hope to have maybe in the future. And if you're not married right now, maybe something that we can pray with and pray for those who are seeking a marriage in the future. So what is God's design for marriage? Can I be a little more plain spoken? Can I be a little more direct on this? Is that okay? I mean, I'm going to anyway, but I just (laughs) rhetorically, right? The media and the celebrity culture that we live in and are surrounded by is not the ideal for our marriages. You just need to know that that the media and the celebrity culture that we are surrounded by is not the ideal for our marriages. So all the scrolling that we do to find the perfect marriage on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, that's not the perfect marriage. I'm just telling you that doesn't exist. And I'm telling you like 90% of what you're watching isn't real either. It's, it's, it's two people coming together with faith, love, and life and just trying to figure it out. Day by day. The celebrity culture that we live in is going to lie to you every day. And the friends that we have who are experimenting with other options in marriage and relationship, those friends who are experimenting that way, not the best source of encouragement and an example to follow. We need, we need something that's healthy. We need something that's true. And God has provided for us a design for marriage that is his ideal that if we will if we will subscribe to and and try to work towards we are working towards the things that God has set up for us for our health and benefit Genesis chapter 2 shares with us this design that God has for us and I've got three three um discoveries inside that design I want to share with you today three discoveries the first one is this we were created to complement each other. We were created to complement each other. God said in, in chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Do you realize that that's the first time in the creation story that God looked down and said something wasn't good? 
that in every other part of the creation story, right? The sky, the, the expanse, the water, the land, the, the animals. Good, 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 right? Go back to Genesis 1. It is good. God created. It is good. God created. It is good, right? Good, good, good. Then we get to chapter 2, verse 18. He sees man alone and he says, mm, not good. Not good. First time in the creation story that God says something is not good. That man is alone. You and I were created to be in community. You and I were created to be in a relationship, some kind, some kind of relationship with other people. We were not meant to live this life alone. We were not created that way. God saw it and said, that's not good. And so he brings the, the, the birds and the fish and the, the crawling things and the creeping things and the animals all by Adam. Adam starts giving them names, right? But at the end of that, God looks and he says, ah, still no suitable helper, no helper that is suitable for Adam among creation. Now, listen, listen, I know you got a dog and a cat at home. I know you, I know you do, right? You got a dog, you got a cat, you love your dog and cat. All right. Some of you, I don't know. I don't know. You got birds. I don't know about you people, but that's okay. You got birds. All right. And then some of you got reptiles. I don't know. I'm not even, all right. I'm happy to connect with you, but can we do it at like, at like Panera or something? Don't bring your thing, right? So the animals come and it's like, listen, we love our cats and dogs and things and we love those things. That's not the relationship that we're created for. We were created distinct from the animal kingdom. God looked at this and he says, this is not good. Adam needs a companion. Adam needs a helper suitable. We need someone who has our same nature. And so what God did was he created woman formed from Adam's rib that we just read about. We see women, a woman that is created in the same nature of man, reflecting the same image of God in her being. This is the helper that God had in mind for Adam. Now, I want to be very clear and very careful. The woman was not created to complete the man. Did you hear that? The woman was not completed to complete the man. The word helper in this text, helper, has the idea of complementing each other. The idea of complementing, biblical scholars are clear. Eve is equal to Adam as a divine image bearer. Men and women complement each other, and in no way, in no way is it a demeaning term. We complement each other. We both carry the image of God. We both reflect that image of God to creation and the people around us. We complement each other in this three distinctions. First of all, helper does not necessarily denote inferiority. In fact, it's the same word used of God in Psalm 33 that we read today. God is our helper, right? You ever hear that in the scripture? God is our helper, The exact same word in the psalm that we read is in Genesis chapter 2 at the creation of woman. 
helper. In fact, you read the line, Psalm 33, verse 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and shield. So I picked that psalm because I wanted to reinforce this point. We read it responsively, and I made sure you, the congregation, read those words. Because I wanted them to come from your mouth. God is my helper. God is my help. To reinforce to us. Would we think that God is inferior to us? Would we think that God is, I'm asking God for help, but you know, God's lower than me, but I just need you to come along. That's, that's, we would never think that. And biblical scholars are clear. This is not the image of this word being used this way. Help is a compliment to us. The second distinction that we see is that their equality is indicated by Adam when he says this. What did Adam say in verse 23? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is a compliment to him. This is showing the equality between man and woman. Again, divine image bearers, both reflecting who God is. The third distinction is that they have dominion and stewardship over creation mandated to both of them at the exact same time. Go back, turn your page, turn your page, go to the, go to the left, go to the left. Chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own, mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that, watch that, so that they may rule over the fish and the birds and the livestock and the wild animals. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. From the, from the inception, from the creation of, of humanity, man and woman, God created to work together in a complementary way to reflect the image of God and to rule over the things of this world together. They complemented each other. They were connected. God's Eve, when God created Eve, Eve came alongside Adam, not as an add-on, but as the complement. God is designing marriage as a relationship that finds its foundation in a couple that complements each other. Working together. Working in each other's strengths and sharing with each other for the good of the marriage and the good of the community that they live in. Complementing each other. Now, sometimes when we talk about marriage or relationships or dating or things like that, sometimes, sometimes here's a question that, that we'll get. So do you believe in love at first sight? Do you believe in love at first sight? Well, here's my answer. This, this, is, my, this is not thus saith the Lord, all right? We're going to shut that. I'm going to step over here. This is my answer to that. <clears throat> uh, maybe. But, but maybe your glasses are dirty too. 
I don't know. Like maybe love at first sight. I don't know. Maybe, but maybe you need to take your glasses off and get a real good look at what you're looking at. You need to understand and ask this, ask this, does this person compliment me? That's probably the better question. Do you believe in love at first sight? I don't know. Maybe. Do they compliment you would be my question. My, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, told my wife, not just because of me, but family deal, right? My mother-in-law used to say, you need to date the person through all four seasons of the calendar year. You need to, this is some good advice. Mitzi Fraser coming big here, right? You need to date the person through the four seasons of the calendar year. You know why, right? Because everybody loves Christmas, Chris. Christmas Chris is a great guy. Everybody loves Christmas Chris. He's fun. He's funny. He, he's entertaining, right? He gave me a gift. Look at what he gave me. It's Christmas Chris, right? What's summer Chris like? I don't know. Could be a jerk. Maybe. I don't know. Could be all in it for himself. Could be, we don't know, right? You got to date through the four seasons to see if there's a compliment with each other. Because what you want to know is, is the, the person that we really like on Christmas, what are they like on June 18th? What are they like on October 23rd? And you're like, what's June 18th and October 23rd? And I'm like, nothing. It's just a day. My question is, are they the same person that you thought they were? Are they still complimenting God's design in marriage is, is for, for, for us to have a, a helper, helper. And then that second phrase there, suitable. Helper, suitable. The second thing that we see in God's design for marriage is that we have to celebrate our differences. To celebrate the differences that we bring to the table, that we bring to the relationship. This word suitable is also translated fit in different um, versions of the Bible. It's translated fit. And the idea is that they both had the same nature. And but while they both had the same nature, what the man lacked, the woman supplied, and what she lacked, the man supplied, they were a good fit. They didn't just compliment each other, but they were a good fit. The word fit literally means according to the opposite of. According to the opposite of. Now, that doesn't mean we all go out and just find the complete opposite person, and that's who we connect with. But isn't it interesting how once you're in a relationship, you can see how the opposites are strengthened by the right person that we are with? It's a compliment. We work together, but it's also a fit because the things that we're strong or weak in are supported by and helped by the other person. There's this idea of of compliment and fit working together where God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So I'm just wondering, why are we trying to change people? Why do we try to change people in relationships? If you're, if you're in a dating relationship and somebody's trying to change you, I, again, 
I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. I'm saying maybe saith the Lord, but not. Right, let me just step away from that too and just say, somebody's trying to change you in a relationship. Not good news. Just saying, not good news. Right? I'm I'm calling at least a yellow flag, maybe a red flag. Not good news. Because here's what happens. They're trying to change you to fit them. And I don't know what, I don't know why, I don't know what. Here's the question. Why are you trying to change me? Why are you trying? Because if you're trying to change me, it's not about me, it's about you. Right? Somebody in your circle needs to help you hear this. That if somebody is trying to change you, it's not a you problem, it's a them problem. And you need to get away from them. Sorry, that's a little strong. But I'm a dad. So, you try to, you want to change my kid? We're going to, maybe we should take this off the live stream, but. Because I'm looking at the scriptures that tell us that we were created, Psalm 139, we were created in a very specific and unique way. Live that way. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to create somebody that complements and fits you. And when you start dating or looking at or working with or in a relationship with somebody who's trying to change you, not spiritually, we understand what we're talking about, right? We need to be united spiritually in heart and spirit. We're not talking about that. We're talking about how God created us, the things that we like, the personality that we have, the things that we laugh at, the things that we cry at, the things that inspire us, those things. When somebody starts trying to change you to fit that, I'm just saying yellow flag, red flag. Might be time. Might be time to take a step back. That is not your problem. That is their problem. And there are enough people in this room today that would encourage you. Because one way or another, they know that when that goes from, when that's happening in the dating scene and it's, and you end up getting married anyway, that is carried over into the marriage. And now you're two years, three years, four years down into a marriage. God has designed marriage to be a complement and a fit. Find somebody who complements you and fits with you. And if we're in marriages, we need to be comfortable with the compliment and the fit to the point where it's something that should be celebrated. So stop complaining about the toothpaste being squeezed in the middle and figure out at least you got toothpaste. Do you understand what I'm saying? Celebrate the difference. The third thing that we see in God's design is this. A covenant of commitment. It's a covenant of commitment. This relationship was meant to last. 
there's, there's unifying covenantal language here in verse 24. It says this, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. It's the start of a new family. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. It's covenantal language. They're, they're in it for the long haul. They leave and are united as one. Can I tell you one of the hardest things we're, we're learning as, as parents who have young adult children that are getting married? To let them get married and to step back hands off. You know why? Because parents, we like to control things, don't we? We like to control how the relationship goes. We like to control how decisions are made. We like to control things. And in God's design of marriage, the design is a covenant for commitment. It's their commitment that they have to work out together and carry out together. This is tough. Leaves father and mother united. And some of us are like, yeah, I know they're going to leave, but you're going to call every week and we're going to get together. You know what the hardest thing to do is in a relationship, in a married relationship? Celebrating holidays. Right? Because if you haven't talked about it, it's like, well, are we ready to go to my, my parents for Thanksgiving? And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. We go to my parents for Thanksgiving. And you're like, no, we go to, like, we, I thought you knew. <laughs> See, this is why you date through four seasons. Like, you got to figure this out. Probably not a good conversation to have on the Wednesday before the Thursday. Know what I'm telling? So you got to figure this out, right? Because that's the hardest thing in a marriage is to begin leaving the family of origin and creating your own family. The next hardest step is when you make the phone call that says, we're not coming for Christmas Day because we're doing a new tradition for us. So you mean I need, I, sh- I can show up at three, right? Like, no, 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 like this is for us. Right, right, you're doing for you, but I can show up at, okay, maybe five o'clock for dinner, right? No, 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 no. Parents, it's hard to let go, isn't it? We should be there to pray for, to encourage, to give advice, give wisdom and input, give some discernment. But they've got to make their way. They've got to figure it out. And as long, let me be clear, as long as there's no harm or danger or abuse involved, we should be stepping back and letting that pray for them, encourage them, support them, go, go, go. Yep, I hear it. Yeah, it's hard, right? I got you. It's really difficult. Yep, I understand. What do I do? Well, you guys, this is what, just take it, but you need to, you got to figure it out. Yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Okay, have fun with that. And then we walk away. Praying, encouraging, giving some discernment, but letting them, a man will leave his father and mother unite with his wife and they will be one flesh. It's the design that God has for marriage. It's the design he has for the family. 
It's the design he has for that family to function in community in the cultures that we live in. Why is that important? A couple weeks ago, uh, Amy and I met with the young adult group uh, on Tuesday night. Knowing that we were doing this series, I just wanted to ask them, hey, what, what questions would you have? Like, I don't want you to feel like this doesn't resonate with you. I want to make sure that, you know, we're connecting in some way. We had a great time, spent about 45 minutes with them. And I'll tell you what, if you've not, if you've not connected with our young adults, they are fantastic people. You need to get to know these people. Ton of fun. They've got a thing. They're rocking it on Tuesday nights. Uh, half the group's from our church. The other half's not. It's absolutely fantastic. You need to, you need to be praying for our young adults because they are absolutely fantastic. If you've not been a part of it, come check it out Tuesday nights. So we're sitting there, we're talking. Like, this is why this covenantal language is important because here's some of the questions that we got. How do you love your spouse completely when the honeymoon is over? What do you do when your dream doesn't materialize? How do we commit to the commitment? Any of y'all want to answer that? I'd be happy to. And uh, yeah, pray. Exactly. Well, we're praying for you. Um, No. And and so those are great questions. Like, hey, listen, these are the questions. These are the questions. And we need to come alongside our young adults. We need to come alongside our, our not yet marrieds who desire to be married. I'll, I'll reinforce that in a minute. And, and, and just encourage them and pray with them. And, and one of the things that they want to see is they want to see a marriage that lasts. It takes faith and it takes work. And when you're running out of work, a little more faith. When you're running out of faith, a little more work. It just, it just, I don't know. I wish it was easier. But this is why we have to talk about it. We live in a world and a culture that's deconstructing anything. And these are the questions that people are asking in our world. And the church has a responsibility and an opportunity to step up and say, listen, the ideal that God has for marriage, the ideal, is a man and a woman coming together in faith, love, and life who are complementing each other in their relationship, who fit together and celebrate the differences. And they, they covenant for a commitment. And it's hard. And it's not perfect. But this is what they strive for. And I think we owe it to the generation around us to talk about it and to encourage them to that end. Now, I realize that there are many, many, many stories in the room today. And that for many of us, this may not have been the ideal. And for some of us, it may not be the ideal that we're in. I went to social media this week and, and Maybe some of you saw this. I asked a simple question. How do we, how do we honor the, the people that are in the room today who aren't married for whatever reason? There's a very, number of different reasons why some are not married. How do we honor them 
while we still talk about marriage? And I had some really good responses. And I asked some of them if I could share those responses with you publicly, and they said yes. And so we, we, I kind of narrowed down, I found the common threads in some of them, and this is what they would say. People who have struggled, who are no longer married for whatever reason, give this advice to us today. First, marriage doesn't complete you. Marriage doesn't complete you. That's why I was very clear with the words I used a moment ago, that we God's design for marriage is a complement, not a completion. You as a person are not defined by your marriage. We as individuals should find our wholeness and fullness in Jesus Christ. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message from creation to revelation that our foundation as people is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Marriage, if you so choose to pursue it, marriage doesn't complete you. Don't live with that that idea. It is a compliment. It is is an encouragement scripturally. But our identity and our purpose and our meaning needs to be founded and grounded in Christ. And then that identity, purpose, and meaning founded in Christ needs to be nurtured in all relationships that we have, not just marriage. God said you are, God created us in community for community. Not just marriage, but all relationships, all of our friendships, all of our family, all of our connections. The the healthy ones are the ones where we are being encouraged and nurtured to find our identity, purpose, and meaning in Christ. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have mentoring. That's why we have men's breakfasts. That's why we have women's events. That's why we have thousands of things for you to get in connection with because we want your identity, meaning, and purpose grounded in Christ and nurtured in all kinds of relationships around you, not just marriage. But if you choose marriage, just understand this. It doesn't complete you. The second thing that we pulled out of these responses was, um, was this. We, they wanted you to know that sometimes stuff happens and sometimes things fail. It's just the world that we live in. Pain, however, pain has a way of shaping us for the future. When pain and loss is surrendered to Christ, the healing that he brings can help frame our future. One friend noted that joy and meaning can still be found without being married. That's why we have support groups. Grief share, divorce care, divorce care for kids ministry to our widows. That's why we do this. Because in pain, we can take our pain and it shapes us for the future. Marriage marriage doesn't complete us and our pain doesn't have to defeat us. It can shape 
our future. And the third thing that they would say is reiterating, uh, we need to focus our relationship on Christ as people. People first, in relationship and marriage second. I'm so thankful for the measured and mature responses because it shows their love for all people. God has a design for marriage. He wants it. His design is to complement each other, to celebrate each other, to be in covenant commitment to each other. And as we wrap it up, let me give you, let me give you some homework for this week, okay? Some things that we can do. First of all, let's pray for each other. Keep praying for each other. Can we, can we not lay on each other, you need to be married? Can we just stop that? Can what we say in, instead is, what we need is to be found in Christ. And after that, do what he calls you to do. So let's pray for each other. Now, if you are married, if you are married, you got a good week in front of you. I'm going to give you some tips. All right. Here's three things that you can do this week. All right. If you're married, first of all, it's not, it's, it's all predicated on this. All right. Predicated on this. Go out for a date night. All right. Got to go out for a date night. All right. Set aside a couple bucks. Go out for a date night. All right. Here are three things that you can do. All right. Number one, share a dessert, share your favorite dessert with each other and celebrate the sweet things of your life and your marriage. See what I did there? The sweet dessert and celebrate. 930 thought it was funnier, but anyway, um, (laughs) celebrate the sweet things of your life. Here's the question you can ask. Um, what, what do you love about each other? What do you love about each other? Second, share a special place and celebrate special moments. I remember uh, my parents would, would often drive down to the East Pier at, on the peninsula. You know, they would go down to the East Pier, just park and look at the lake and share a Dairy Queen thing. When my dad passed away, my mom kept doing it. It was their place. And you go and you think about special moments. So what's your place? Go find your place, talk about your special moments, and ask this question, what, is, what have been the best moments of our lives? Third, share a special verse and celebrate how God has been faithful in your relationship. Where has God been working and has worked in your marriage? Will you stand with me? Father, this morning, it's so important that we understand your design for marriage. I pray that we wouldn't take this up as a burden, but we would take it up as a challenge to say, in the world that we live in, with the stuff that we carry, in the imperfection that we are as people, we're going to try to live this out in our marriage, to complement each other well, to celebrate our differences, to covenant for commitment. And for those who are, who are no longer married, and I pray, God, that you would encourage them as they find themselves, uh, we all, we all find ourselves in you, and that you would continue to work in all of our hearts and lives. Let us not chase marriage, let us chase you. And be at peace with what you bring to us in all the relationships that we have. We thank you. Give us a good week. 
Let us honor you with our lives in all that we do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.